to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Just wanted to continue our series here in First and Second Thessalonians. We will be in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, in a lesson that we're calling Patiently Waiting. And the, uh, the objective of this lesson is to help us to understand that certain events will take place before Christ returns, and uh, that we are trying to learn and practice God's revealed truth to help us understand how to stand firm until Christ returns, which was the message of what Paul was speaking to here to the Thessalonians. If we think about it, Paul must have heard back from the Thessalonian believers fairly quickly. Uh, this second epistle to them seems to have followed his first one without much delay. Their response revealed some issues that still troubled them. So Paul was addressing the situation here in his second letter as we go through chapter 2. We'll begin by looking in verses 1 through 5 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the first thing we're going to look at is how the evil deceiver will be revealed before Christ returns. So there were some serious misunderstandings of events related to the second coming of Christ that still troubled the Thessalonian congregation. We see that in verse 1. Paul is trying to reassure them and he's trying to calm them. The first thing that he had to settle was that it had not already happened in verse 2. This is one of the things that they were concerned about. It seemed that some had even tried to write things in Paul's name about the second coming that simply were not true. There were those that were forging Paul's names to letters that he did not write. So Paul told the Thessalonians to avoid deception by recognizing that the second coming or the day of the Lord that's referenced in verse 2 would not take place until a rebellion occurred and a man of lawlessness or a man of sin or the, what the Bible also terms as the son of perdition was revealed. And we read about that in verse 3. This man of lawlessness would try to set himself up above any and all deities. He wanted to take the place of God, even proclaiming himself to be God in God's place, which we read about in verse 4. Then Paul gently uh, kind of chides the Thessalonians for not remembering what he's already told them about the matter in verse 5. So he's reinforcing teaching that he has already taught the Thessalonians when he was with them or possibly in previous letters that he had written. So we're going to try to dig a little bit deeper here when Paul's talking about in verse 2, he says that we should not be shaken in mind or troubled in spirit or by word. What does that mean to be shaken or unsettled? Well, what, what Paul's using here is a term that describes a ship that was driven along and shaken by the waves, either undocked or unmoored. That we should understand that neglecting Bible doctrine or theology leaves us unmoored, like a ship drifting at sea shaken by the waves. We will all too easily become upset when deceptive teaching comes around. Well, we cannot know for sure, there are several possibilities for what had stirred up and misinformed the Thessalonian believers. Here are some possibilities. False teachers may have infiltrated the group, the church, this young church that's growing, following along to rip up the roots of the new congregation. False prophets from within the group, remember Paul's instruction to discern from which prophecies were really from God in the first letter in Thessalonians, that they may have infiltrated the church as well. And then also, as reference, it could be false writings, things that were claiming to be from Paul that were not from Paul. So the command, the common thread of all these things is falsehood. Believers cannot afford to become lazy in recognizing falsehood. We need to be able to identify what is false by knowing the truth. So as we continue on, it's, it's implicit in Paul's instructions about avoiding deception in verse 3. It's a plain, simple truth. Deception is a danger to us if we do not guard against it. We take steps to guard ourselves against deception, because if we do not, then we will surely suffer from that deception. Satan's goal, he strives to pull us away from truth and especially from any truth about God. We cannot afford to be naive in such a dangerous world. 
The struggle between truth and deception is not something that died out in the distant past. It fills every newscast, it covers every social media page. We need to make sure that our group remembers to understand that we are witnessing the same battle that raged in Paul's day. We must fill our minds and hearts with God's word in order to know truth and recognize deception. So here's what's, what's necessary. Childlike faith is wonderful and childhood innocence is a charming thing to observe, but nevertheless, we want to be alert to events in the lives of our children and grandchildren in which their innocence begins to dim. Be ready to show them how we cannot believe everything that we hear and point out that if we love God, we will love truth. And if we love truth, it will be that much harder to deceive us. So let's dig a little bit deeper here. The English word apostasy comes from the word usually translated as rebellion or falling away. We read about that in verse 3. Another word that um, pops up here is apocalypse, which comes to us from the root of the word translated as revealed. What will be revealed? The man of lawlessness, the man of sin will be revealed. So the question becomes, who is the man of lawlessness? Well, many associate him with the Antichrist. But that does not really answer the question that Paul is um, giving us here in chapter 2. Paul was not trying to help us identify an individual, though that may be the case elsewhere in Scripture. He wants us to be on the lookout for the character traits and inherent nature of anything that promotes Satan's lies to the detriment of our own faith. The Antichrist is maybe an important thing to identify, but more importantly and practically for us today is to identify the spirit of Antichrist. What are the things that Satan is trying to promote? and to reject that and to be people of the truth. It is no easier to identify what or who is currently holding him back. Some have suggested that maybe it's human government or the church or the Holy Spirit, but scripture does not indicate clearly who is restraining, though we do have some thoughts on it. It highlights instead the fact that the restraint is temporary. God is holding back this wickedness. Nevertheless, the fact that the restraint was currently in place and that the lawlessness was not yet what it would be gave hope to the Thessalonian believers. And here is the great hope and the thing that we cling to today. We have not missed the second coming of Christ. So as we try to apply this first part of the lesson, we need to encourage ourselves that Christ's return will happen in God's perfect timing. And there are reasons that we can be confident that Christ will come again. Consider all the promises that we have in God's word. Most importantly, the promises of Christ himself, where he says that I will come again. Also, God's word has proven itself trustworthy time and time again. So what we need to do and reflect on here is, is to uh, think about in what ways does the promise of Christ's return encourage us. And we need to focus on those things. Sometimes we need to look past what's happening in the here and now, the things that overwhelm us, the circumstances in our life, and always keep in perspective that Christ is coming. I hope this has been an encouragement to you, and I hope that you'll join us for the second part as we look at patiently waiting. Some lessons here from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. We're continuing our lesson series here on Thessalonians, and we've been talking about what we're terming as patiently waiting here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're in the second part here, and the, what we're going to cover is what we're terming evil is restrained until the time for the evil deceiver to be revealed. We talked a little bit about what the Word of God talks about as the man of lawlessness or the man of sin or the son of perdition. We'll read um, in certain translations of Scripture. So who is this? What, what, what's going on here in this uh, whole spiritual uh, battle that's happening? 
Well, the man of lawlessness would already be working on the scene if he were not being restrained, and we read about that in verse 6. Indeed, some of that lawlessness was already at work, but someone or something was actively restraining, and we read about that in verse 7. So as we continue in verse 8, we find an interesting play on the words, the revealing of the lawless one. The word revelation and apocalypse are often tied with the second coming. In fact, when we think about the second coming of Christ, our minds automatically go to the revelation of Jesus Christ at the end of the word of God. They describe the act of revealing or uncovering something. The lawless one is often associated with the idea of the Antichrist. He will have his own revelation of sorts when the restraining power goes away, only to be destroyed by Jesus when he comes again. And Paul references that in verse 8. The revealing of the lawless one will be accompanied by all kinds of lawless behavior, as well as deceptive signs of all sorts, referenced in verse 9. His power will show itself through every sort of evil. Those it deceives will perish. That's a powerful word that we need to think about, perish. Their doom will come from their refusal to love the truth of the gospel. In verse 10, we read about this, which would otherwise have saved them. So one of the most sobering thoughts to consider about those who reject the truth is this. God will finally allow them to have their way. He will let them follow what the Bible calls a strong or powerful delusion, since that is the only thing that they will accept. Since they reject the truth, God will give them over to believe the lies that they want to be true. And we read about that in verse 11. Just as the truth would have saved them, the lie will condemn them. Their condemnation is just, however, for they will have delighted in wickedness, which Paul references in verse 12. Those who persist in scorning truth and delighting in wickedness will face a sobering future of a grand delusion. Many conservative scholars hold that this describes an event that is still future. Even so, it is still true in our day, as in Paul's day, that the power of lawlessness is already at work. Our world maintains powers, cultures, and sentiments that stand apart from all things godly. It promotes thinking in many different forms that rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only by a profound love of the truth can believers avoid the great deception that is destroying unbelievers on a daily basis. So I want to dig a little bit deeper here and just give you some thoughts. Um, there are many different uh, good, strong Bible-believing people who have different um, approaches when it comes to the second coming of Christ and when it will happen and when it will occur. So I just want to give you a quick overview of some of those thoughts and then I'll kind of land where as a church here at Calvary where we where we are on the issue but here's some thoughts it's, you know some some theologians believe that Christ's second coming will occur at the beginning of a thousand year period of world peace ruled by Jesus himself this is called premillennialism i just want to put this these different terms on your radar others believe that such an extended period of world peace will occur just before Christ's return this is called postmillennialism Others believe the mention of a thousand years in Revelation refers instead to Christ's complete and endless rule, present even now. This is called amillennialism. These three major views of Christ's return all have different variations, so I don't want you to think that this is a conclusive, uh, you know, this is just a real brief overview. There's lots of different variations on each one of these three things mentioned. These three major views of Christ's return all have variations, and each view has scripture passages that seem to support the viewpoint. Each view has passages that seem to fit with the opposing views. So this is an area that requires our humility, and this is important. We must be humble when approaching these issues before the difficulty of determining exactly what the Bible teaches. We do not agree on the details, but Orthodox theologians agree that Christ will return as promised. This is the most important thing.
Christ will return as he promised. Anybody that promotes anything beyond that is outside of the scope of Scripture. We believe that Christ will return because this is what Christ himself has said. So he will return as promised to render ultimate justice upon the earth. It is certain that we do not need to fear missing the second coming. And as a church, we hold strongly to the premillennial view of Christ's return. We have reasons for that. We think that it's the most faithful to the totality of Scripture, to theological principles, to doctrinal issues, and things that all seem to fit together with the gospel itself. It, it seems to make the most sense for us as a church, and we hold strongly to that. But again, humility is necessary when approaching these kinds of issues, because ultimately God himself will reveal um, the totality of what he has given to us in his word ultimately when he returns. And that is the most important thing for us to hold on to, that we have not missed the second coming and that Jesus is coming back for us. So what's the takeaway? How do we apply this? Well, we must trust that Christ will conquer the lawless one and all that is evil. Do not be overwhelmed by the news, by what you read in your social media feeds, by everything that we seem to be inundated with, that somehow the world is waxing worse and worse and that somehow they're going to be able to overcome God. That's just preposterous and ridiculous, that we can hold to the fact that Christ is ultimately victorious and he will conquer everything that Satan and hell has to throw our way. So as we step back here a little bit, what are some lies of Satan that the lost believe? Well, here's a few examples. I'm sure there's many, but they would believe that to do what feels good, follow your passion, follow your heart, that those are some lies that, pe that people, that the unbelieving world believes. Some people do not believe that God even exists. They fall in the, into the lie that this is all there is, that there's nothing beyond this, and that there is no existence of God. Some feel that they can find fulfillment in sinful practices and wickedness, that that's where they're going to find their ultimate hope and joy. But as Christians, here's what we need to reflect on. What we need to do is to remind ourselves to look forward to Christ's return and ask ourselves, what about Christ's return do we look forward to the most? As younger people, um, which is mostly probably the folks that are listening to this, um, this podcast, being that it's for families and couples, too often the return of Christ is not on our radar. We're inundated by busy schedules, by raising children, by keeping you know, uh, good testimonies at work and being involved in our church and serving others. And sometimes we forget the greater and broader thing that we are moving towards every day, and that is that Christ is returning that we can look forward to the hope that we have. And that helps us put all these other things into perspective and keep eternity in view. So I hope this has been helpful. This is uh, Thank you for listening to the second part of the lesson, Patiently Waiting. And I hope that you'll join us for the last section, Holding to God's Revealed Truth Helps Us Stand Firm While Awaiting Christ's Return. So I hope you'll join me and look forward to studying the Bible together. Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. We are continuing our series here in the book of Thessalonians. We're in 2 Thessalonians right now in chapter 2. We've just finished the first two parts of our lesson on patiently waiting, and here's the final part of the lesson. I appreciate you uh, joining me in studying the Bible together. We're going to specifically be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. What we're going to focus in on is holding to God's revealed truth helps us stand firm while awaiting Christ's return. So here's what we're thinking about here. The contrast between the believing Thessalonians and their unbelieving counterparts led Paul to give thanks. And Paul gives thanks. We read about that in verse 13. Here's what's going on in their community. One group continued toward destruction through its persistence in wickedness and unbelief. The other group stood firm in belief and in the truth. The Holy Spirit set them apart from those around them. Salvation was theirs. Paul wanted them to understand just how blessed they were. It was not their own goodness or brilliance that brought them to God. God called them through the gospel. 
It was God's offer to them that allowed them to share in the Lord's glory. We read about God's glory in verse 14. Since God had called them, they could have confidence and stand firm in what he had taught them. God himself had sent them Paul, the Old Testament scriptures, Paul's recent writings, and prophetic messages for their particular situation. They had no reason for mistaken ideas about the second coming to trouble their walk with God. It's good for us to always keep in, in mind that when we are unmoored, as we referenced in the first lesson, when we're, our faith seems to be shaken, that God provides us other witnesses, that God provides us the scriptures, that God provides us the preaching of his word, that God provides us encouragement to shore up our faith so that we can always um, have a rock-solid hope that God not only has saved us, but that he keeps us and that he is coming for us. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper here, and when we think about John chapter 17, this, I think, is one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible because Jesus is praying for us, and we read about that in John 17. So Jesus prayed for the disciples shortly before his arrest. He prayed for the Father to sanctify the disciples, to set them apart for his service. So how was this to happen? Well, John 17 and verse 17 tells us the truth, God's very word would do it. The more we focus on biblical truth, the more it will work within us to make us fit for God's work. In other words, the more we emphasize the Bible and its truth, the more it will sanctify us. And we've mentioned sanctification many times in our lessons, that it's a setting apart, that God is taking us and he's pulling us out of what we were, the sinful condition that we were in, and he's making us holy for his use, for his service. And that only comes through the word of God. So here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we see that the Holy Spirit plays a significant role in this sanctification. This calling to sanctification through truth and the work of the Holy Spirit is what Paul described in this passage. It is an extension of what Jesus had in mind in his prayer in Gethsemane. This reminds me of the words of the famous Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane. He said this, he said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. But he says, distance makes no difference. Jesus is praying for me. And I can't think of any more encouraging word that I could give you than to remind you that Jesus is praying for you. So in verse 16 and 17, Paul almost kind of pens a prayer for the saints in, in uh, Thessalonica. He says, Paul utters a short prayer, asking for the Father and the Son to strengthen them. After all, the Father and Son had already shown their love for the Thessalonian believers. It was altogether fitting to expect them to encourage the believers and make them strong. The expectation for the Thessalonians to show strength in God's in good words and deeds was not unrealistic. We must always keep clear in our minds the unbreakable link between truth and salvation. And reference that in John chapter 8, verse 32, the link between truth and salvation. The reverse is also true. Deception always brings destruction. There is no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground in the Christian life. We are either pursuing what God desires or we are following after destruction. We may encounter situations in which we do not immediately understand what is truth and what is falsehood, what is a lie, what is deception. Nevertheless, if we love the truth, we will continually and eventually discern the difference. God himself will see to it, strengthening us for every good deed and word. We should foster in our families the same qualities that Paul sought for the Thessalonians, to love the truth, to stand firm in the knowledge of God's favor, receiving his encouragement and hope, and being strong in good deeds and good words. So what are you going to do? What are we going to take away from this as we go to our homes, we go to our workplaces, we go wherever God's called us to? Well, we need to stand firm in the faith by learning and applying God's revealed truth. 
So how does God's revealed truth help us stand firm in the faith? Now, I'm sure there's many different ways, but one of those things that we read about here is that we're able to avoid the lies of Satan. Also, we experience the goodness and the blessings that come with obeying God's word. So what do we reflect on as we think about what we've just read and what we've studied through? Well, we have to remind ourselves what truth about Christ's coming helps us stand firm while awaiting his return. And I think some of those truths that help us stand firm is realizing that Christ is coming back for us, that, t- that there's an urgency to this. There, this, this there's, a, there's a brief opportunity that we have to do what God's called us to do because Christ is coming back. But that also encourages us to know that this world is not all that there is. That one day Jesus is returning and we will experience the fullness of the salvation that he's called us to. So I hope that you'll take this away, that you'll encourage yourself as well as your family to stand firm in the truth. And that as we continue in the Christian life, that we will continue in good works and good deeds. Hope this has been a help to you. I hope you'll join us next time as we study through the Word of God together here in the Calvary Couples Podcast. I pray for you and I pray for your family that God will continue to bless you.